0: You're listening to audio from Church of the Incarnation. To donate to our ministry or find out more, please visit incarnationcfl.com. Amen. Yeah, please be seated. Thanks, Tom. Um, I've met a good number of you either earlier online or this morning, but if I haven't met you, I'm around after service. Please come say hi. I'd love to, to get to know you. Uh, today we're going to be mostly in the parable of the prodigal son, where we see how Jesus responds to people asking why he parties so much. And I asked Tom, Tom, what are they, what are they used to hearing and preaching? And uh, I've been told recently that I have to stick to like 8 to 12 minutes and tell a lot of stories, and so is that sort of what you want? And he was like, I don't know, man, just teach them the Bible or something. And uh, that's my Tom impression. It's... Uh, <laughs> still still working on it. I'm open to tips. Uh, But that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the parable. We're just going to sort of walk through it together. But I want us to be prayerfully considering what the Holy Spirit might be bringing up for us. And I'm going to mention just a few things that the Holy Spirit's brought up to me. And that's sort of how parables work. They're not like children's stories where you sort of learn them and then you kind of get how they function and maybe you'll return to it and you'll say like, yeah, I I get the meaning of that. They're supposed to shock you. They're supposed to sound weird. So at the moment where you feel like you understand what's going on, maybe we can be prayerfully considering that that is exactly what's not supposed to be happening. And so we're just going to sit here in the power of the Holy Spirit and ask God what comes up for us. And in our gospel reading, uh, the, the context of the story is given in the very first line. It says that the, the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus, and they're angry that this fellow, they must be southerners, this fellow welcomes sinners and tax collectors, and they're angry about it. Oh, this thing is, y'all glued this here? This is, this is interesting. Um, so these Pharisees and scribes are angry that Jesus hangs out with sinners and in response he tells them this story he says that there are two sons the younger son comes to the dad and says give me my inheritance money I'm leaving and you'll never see me again and he goes off into a far distant country into uh, a Gentile land, and our text says that he was living in destitute and in, in dissolute living, which is a word that just basically means he was a party boy. He goes and takes his dad's money, leaves his responsibilities on the farm, leaves his brother, presumably his mom, his community, and he goes and wastes all his money. And things seem to be going pretty well. He's w- living as a hired hand, which means he learns a trade. And then a famine comes, and he has no money, he has no friends, he has no work. And our our gospel reading says that he came to himself. He has this sort of aha moment. And he says, I have no food to eat, but if I'm a hired hand in my dad's farm, then I'll have plenty to eat. But here's the challenge. You may have a great relationship with your father, you may have no problem going home, but if you took money from your inheritance, said, I will not see you ever again, and then left, presumably for years. Famines take a long time to sort of do their work. You would have some explaining to do whenever you come home. So That's one of the challenges facing the younger son. He has to face his dad. He has to face his brother, who he left. And I'm wondering what's coming up for us. What, What came up for me is Uh, is maybe this young boy is sort of representing uh, a kid who got in trouble with drugs, was hanging out with the wrong people, as we say. Left, we thought he was never coming back, and now he's returned. Or maybe he's the young woman who is ashamed about a thing that she's done or something that's happened to her, and she's ready to come home now too, but she doesn't know how people will receive her. And he doesn't know how his brother or his dad will act, and so he devises a plan this is extremely interesting because I sort of always thought of this story as him being this perfect representation of repentance where he knows what he's doing and he comes home, but that's not what our text says. It says, when he comes to himself, he'll devise this plan in verse 18 and 19. I will go, I'll get up and go to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired hand. And this is why it's very tricky of him, because if he's a hired hand, he can work to maybe give his dad the money back, but he doesn't have to live with him. He gets to live with the hired hands in the city. Then he'll come in and he'll work, but he never has to live with his dad, and he doesn't have to live with his brother. So he doesn't have to face this shame every day. Tricky, tricky son but he's hardly the picture of perfect repentance. And it's not just that he has to face his dad and his brother, that's hard enough. What's actually worse is that he has to face his community. We have to remember that in this time, a tribe is probably, like a big neighborhood is probably a better word. There's like 400, 500 people. And if a big time worker leaves, everyone else has to pick up the slack. Not to mention the disrespect. And so they have this cultural practice called a kezaza, it just means cutting off, where if someone were to do something this drastic, they would have this ceremony where they all gather together, and they take this pot, and they imagine that it's their relationship with this son, and they smash it. Pretty brutal, right? And they vow that if he ever is to come back, they will meet him at the city gate. And they won't let him in, and instead, it's their role as the group to make sure he is punished for his sins, and they will berate him, and then he'll confess all his sins, and maybe the dad will let him work uh, in some other farm somewhere, and maybe at some point he'll come back. But that's what he knows he has to face. And that sounds extremely drastic, does it not? But if you or anyone you know has ever been through a divorce, maybe... I've had lots of friends who've been through this sort of scenario, and this is exactly how they describe the fear of coming back to church, that they're terrified that this will happen, or it actually does happen to them. And this is what he faces. And in many cases, those people don't deserve this ostracism, and maybe he doesn't, but he, he certainly has done terrible things, and he's not exactly perfectly repentant. So how does the father react to this imperfect repentance? We see in verse 20, it says, whenever his son was still far off, the father is filled with compassion and runs to him and hugs him and kisses him. And this is supposed to sound weird. To us, it might sound weird that a father is kissing a son. In many cultures in America, that's not totally normal. But for them, it would have been extremely weird for him to be running. Because here they are, everyone's working in the field. It's a small community. They see a figure coming that they don't know. And then at some point, they recognize it's the sun. And so they begin, you could imagine, talking to each other, saying, let's get ready to go get him. And as they're sort of preparing in order to meet him, to end this ceremony of berating him, they see out of the corner of their eye his dad running. And the reason why it's so weird is because you're not supposed to show your ankles. Different cultures have different sort of uh, rules around what modest clothing is. For them, showing your ankles is like showing everything. So you can imagine the analogy here of an old man sort of running. But let's see what the father is doing here. As the community, Is walking to go embarrass his son he runs and greets him and kisses him and the embarrassment shifts from them shaming the son to them shaming the father and he takes the pressure off of his son can we hear the sort of echoes of the gospel here And the son begins to talk. Remember, he has this plan. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Just make me one of your hired hands. And the dad cuts him off. He doesn't even let him finish his half-repentant story. He tells his servants, go get the ring and the robe, slaughter the fattened calf. We're going to have a party. I don't have hired hands here. You are my son. That is it. I mean, what a ridiculous, irresponsible act of the father. To not punish the wrongdoer, to not give him time out, to not throw him in jail, to make him pay his dues to society, he throws him a party, how weird. Friends, we are not children of God because we are good sons and daughters or because we are very good at repenting at all. We are children of God because he is a good father. That's it. And Jesus is making a statement in this moment to the sinners and the tax collectors first, the ones who are getting berated. He says this is how God welcomes sinners to him. Every time... Even if they aren't sure that they're perfectly repentant or why they even want to come back, he welcomes them with a party. That's what he does. And this is wonderfully good news. But I also want us to feel just how weird and uncomfortable this is. The father says, slaughter the fattened calf, which you don't do for like tea and crumpets with friends. You do this as like, it's like having a pig roast. Like everybody is coming to this thing. So this community who was set out to berate this son, he says, put down your pitchforks and pick up your dinner plates. You have to have a party for him. (laughs) I'm imagining uh, if you've maybe ever been to a wedding where you're like, I don't really know that this should go down. It's the sort of awkwardness of like, I guess we're celebrating, but whoo. I guess you guys have been to something like that. (laughs) So the brother finds out what's going on, and in the gospel reading it says he becomes angry and refuses to go in. And now, at this point, the scribes and the Pharisees know exactly who he's talking about. They are the older brother. And there's some reasons why the older brother is afraid to go in. I don't want us to sort of demonize this. It makes total sense why he would be angry that the judge just sort of allows this person who has hurt the community to walk. Are you feeling some of the modern applications to this? There's lots of reasons why the Pharisees and scribes don't want to associate with sinners. There are lots of reasons why we don't want to associate with sinners. And this is the point where we just allow the Holy Spirit to sort of do whatever it is the Holy Spirit's going to do. And I'm going to mention some of the things that have risen to the surface for me. One of the reasons why I think it is a struggle for me and possibly for us to want to associate with sinners is because it's not our party. I really wonder if the older brother might have been perfectly fine with his younger brother coming to the party so long as it was his own. If it's his party, if he's the one being celebrated for being faithful and a hard worker, and as he says, never having sinned against you, dad, not one time, then maybe he's okay with his son sort of having a particular seat at the party, sitting far away, making sure he can't disrupt anything. Maybe even people in the community will think, wow, you're really gracious. And this was nagging me as I was preparing this, and I thought, you know, there's a reason why it's coming up. But I think this is possibly the greatest question facing the church in America in the next generation. And the question is this Can we be guests? That is what radical hospitality requires. It is extremely painful is extremely difficult not only as you all are learning to welcome people as the father in this story welcomes them what a beautiful thing but i think that we have proven over our history as a people that we like to be in charge that we like to decide who sits where who makes the laws we like to figure out exactly how to rearrange things to make sure everyone's okay we're okay with that We have not answered whether or not we can be guests at someone else's party. That is a harder challenge. I'm a control person, that is hard for me. But that is the question for the older brother, and that's the question for us. Another reason why he might not want to go to the party is that he doesn't want other people in the community to think he's lenient on sin. This makes sense, right? I mean, he says, he took your money and spent it on loose women, on ridiculous things, on things that no one is questioning whether or not that's okay in this community. What he did was wrong. And you want me to go out there and look like I'm celebrating his sin? He's not even repentant. You're just glad that he's back, that's it. And I began to wonder if most of us aren't really afraid of just looking like we're lenient on sin. But we're afraid at least i am of looking lenient on particular sins that's what we're afraid of what are the kinds of sins that we might be afraid of other people noticing that we support because we pick and choose which ones we're fine with people being okay with and which ones we're not and it can get so bad that we even start to say If someone does that particular kind of sin, no matter what else is going on in their life, maybe they're not really Christians after all. I thought they were. The older brother says, when he comes to his dad, he says, this son of yours did this. He can't even call him his brother. And then the father reminds him in verse 31 and 32. He says, son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and been found. He doesn't tell him he needs to be best friends with his brother. He doesn't even tell him he has to sit at the same table as his brother. He just needs to go to the party. Because the older brother is not wrong. His sin was bad. But the older brother may be missing this party because he didn't want to associate with sinners. He might be mad that it's not his own party, but his biggest problem is that he misunderstands what the party is about. That's what Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, and that's what he says to you and me this morning. The party doesn't happen because we are perfectly repentant or because we never sin or because we avoid particular kinds of sins. The party happens because God rejoices any time someone comes to him. The older brother is wrong about the party of God, and the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus is warning both us and them that the party of God does not happen because you avoid these particular sins. But we can miss out on the party of God if we're too afraid to associate with sinners, of which I am the chief. Friends, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know most of you at all. You certainly don't know me. Um, Maybe you are afraid to go to the Father. You're ashamed of something that you've done or of something that's happened to you. Maybe you're angry that something did happen to you and you don't know how he will react. But come to him. He would rather embarrass himself before he embarrasses you. And maybe this morning we're recognizing, like me, that there are particular categories of sin that we've labeled as if they do this, I, they are not my brother, they are not my sister, they cannot be my sibling. but no one enters the party of God because they have avoided particular sins or because they can pay him back with their work or because they've perfectly repented. We come to the party only because God has invited us and everything he has is already yours. Why would we hoard it? And we celebrate any time someone was dead and has come back to life, no matter how imperfect that life is. And if we can't sit at the same table with our brothers and sisters, that's fine. Just gather in the same room as them. Until one day we all feast together at the table of the supper of the Lamb. Amen. Thanks for listening. Would you like to connect with our church? Join us online or in person every week at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit incarnationcfl.com to learn more. Have a great week.